I am so pumped to be sharing this episode with you today. I am joined by Christopher Lamarck, who is hailing from Chicagoland in the United States. In this episode, Chris takes us on his journey to manhood, allowing us to feel the struggle and heartache of a little boy that simply wanted to be seen and loved. We gain a glimpse into the child welfare system that so many black people are fearful of, and we also touch on his story around isolation, anger, abuse, and so much more. Chris's ability to tap into his imagination, express himself through writing and music, has allowed him to build a foundation of resilience and love. Today, he speaks bravely about how he overcame his battles with depression and multiple suicide attempts, and how he's now providing free mental health support services for those in Chicago through his organization, Coffee, Hip Hop, and Mental Health. Without further ado, this is Christopher Lamarck. A lot of uh, a lot of Aussies tuning in as well, so I think they're going to be pretty keen with your story. It's quite unique and. Uh, I think you speak to a pretty big community within within America. Um, Absolutely. You know, there's there's plenty of ways that I can I can start this episode, and I might mm-hmm. go slightly off script because when I was taking my nap this afternoon, I had another question that sort of came into mind. You know, you've been doing um, the coffee movement and the cafe for the last couple of years, which we're going to get, uh, I guess, dig into a little bit more. But I think what I'm particularly interested in is, you know, in these last couple of years while you've been on this journey. Um, what's what's remained the same for you man and and what's changed that's a very good question what has remained the same is the why the why is really important uh it's the driving force behind everything and no matter how much we scale how much attention we get it doesn't matter i always have to go back to the why because the because inside the why are my values right yeah. Uh, the the strategy focus and just the overall commitment. And I would say what has changed is I don't care too much about how things are presented. I just have to say them, especially if it's going to strengthen the organization. And I think in the beginning I was making decisions because I was you know I was thinking about future funding and. And, and and I didn't want to piss or offend people, and 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 even my speaking up hasn't has nothing to do with offense or pissing people off. What I'm trying to get you to understand is what has changed is not trying to make this thing pretty, so people can digest it. When it comes to fighting for the organization, I am going to have to get under your skin because you're yeah. going to have to understand it is a sense of urgency. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so in the beginning, it's like let's you know let's be pretty, you know let's be nice. No, no, <laughs> it's an urgency. Yeah, yeah. And where does that urgency come from, man? Uh, well, when you look at people killing themselves. Mm. The work that we are doing, we're trying to make sure people are not on the ledge, thinking that that's the only decision to make. So for me, I'm trying to do that for my own self, right? 
I'm trying to make sure that I don't choose the ledge, <laughs> right? So the 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 urgency is in. Come on, like we have to go. I know y'all got y'all rules and y'all stipulations in the red tape, but look, it is cold red out here. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? Yeah. <laughs> oh man, I I I can feel your passion, man, and um. It's yeah. it's quite interesting, you know. We're going to talk about music. We're going to talk a little bit about your upbringing. Um, you know, I think the world has a funny way of working. the The place I'm staying at in London at the moment uh, is a guy called uh, Aji Tab or AJ Tab. He's a singer, songwriter, a guitarist oh, as nice. well. So he's he's on another call in another room at the moment. But uh, it's just funny, like, because we've been chatting a lot about music and identity, and you know, he's trying to make it out as an artist, but also like work his day job because it's really hard, obviously, paying bills just being a being an artist on Spotify. So, um. It's just funny that right. we're doing we're doing we're doing we're doing this podcast now at a at a pretty interesting time given where I'm staying and and who I'm around. But um, absolutely, you know, music I think touches a string in your heart and in your life and pun intended as well. But um, what's that journey been like with you? Because uh, I know you've been an artist. You might still be an artist. Yeah. Music still means a lot to you. And sort of what's that journey been like? Still an artist for sure. The journey started. I would say 97, 98, it started with just this incredible desire to write. Yeah. Uh, you know, most artists kind of like grow up knowing that they have this talent mm. or this innate ability to make music, but it wasn't like that for me. It, it was, I discovered, I always loved music, but I discovered that I had this incredible desire to write and i remember before i actually started writing anything i used to go to the grocery store and just buy a bunch of notepads yeah <laughs> just because the desire was there and i would say over the span of what all of these years uh music has been the constant space to be this therapeutic thing for me be, because i can when you write or you can tell music what to do, you can create like whatever emotion you want with music. Mm. That's the beauty about it. You can tell it what to do. But on the other side, once you create it, music is the only thing that doesn't ask for permission to yeah. project onto you. That's why we learn music so fast, because even if we're not playing it, but we're everywhere hearing the same songs, it's just... And it just invade our space. Thank you for that. So uh, music has been like this very beautiful thing. It has kept me balanced. And the journey has been uh, uh, a celebration. It has been awesome. It has also been very disappointing, which honestly, that was one of the things that was sitting with me. It was the disappointment of not making as much as I love music and music has been there for me. It did not take me to a place of success or, or, or at least not the way I thought that it would, right? And and um it taught me a lot about it it taught me a lot about talent. Talent doesn't always mean the main stage. It just means that you have this talent to take care of those 30 people that show up to your concert. Those 30 people matter, but when you're looking at social media or the people who have made it, you compare their talent and say, man, why me? Why not me? Or but nah, music has forever had me on this roller coaster, but I look at music so different now. I need I needed it 
and all those people that I performed in front of, uh, yeah. they needed it, right? You know, yeah. so music has been a roller coaster of a journey. Yeah, and and you know, like just you know, with a little one coming into the picture as well, I actually didn't know that you were a father, and I think that adds a new dimension to the conversation because I know for you growing up, absolutely, um, your parents weren't around. The presence of your parents, you know, that was something that was not a smooth sailing for you growing up. For those listening yeah. in, um, yeah, I'm going to keep this very open-ended and, and intentionally so. So, you know, feel free to take it in whatever angle that makes most sense to you. But what was it What was it like growing up as a little kid, um, little Christopher in general, man? <laughs> um, you know, since I now understand the nuances in, of our life, I look at my childhood different. It doesn't mean that I don't recognize all the pain. It was terrible. You know, if anybody have ever watched the movie Antoine Fisher, uh, mm. it's an incredible movie. The Antoine Fisher movie, I think you should look at it. Uh, there are a lot of paralleling mo parallel moments uh, that I just relate to. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the logo and, and you see 6453, that is the address on the south side of Chicago in which I live at. And, and uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, I dealt with not having the freedom to open the refrigerator. Like my son, even though he's almost two, he has the freedom. The first thing he wake up and he asks for is food. Mm. And my son doesn't have to do anything other than just open up his eyes. And, and immediately we go right to loving on him. I didn't have that growing up. There was no freedom to go into the cupboards or like to go in the refrigerator to just just have the freedom to like live and walk about we didn't have that freedom so you know being locked inside of a dark basement or an enclosed back porch or behind the old school china cabinets being placed in isolation physically emotionally and sexually like manipulated and abused those things are very hard uh so growing up was terrible if it wasn't for the breaks of being able to go to school yeah, going to summer camp, going outside, just or or when they would drink, you know, or or holidays. These were all the moments in which we were able to escape. So, so I I am grateful for the balance of life where we where I wasn't always sitting in abuse, but the majority of the time, yes. I just thank God for the moments where there was nothing bad happening to me. Yeah, and so. But yeah, it was terrible. And I didn't know my parents. I, I, I never knew my father. I don't know his name. Um, and, and my mom, God rest her soul, she passed in 2013. Uh, so I didn't have her, right? And I only remember seeing her maybe three or four times like, throughout my life. And I, I think we, as far as I can remember, we only spent, I only remember one Christmas or one holiday, one holiday together, and that was 2009. And that was because I decided to go find her and then go have this holiday with her, right? And so, so like growing up was terrible. <laughs> it was, yeah. it was, it was absolutely terrible. Yeah. Could I ask them? And you know, like. Where where were you living and how did you get access to food and like shelter and, yeah. and, and all that? Yeah, I mean, so I was living with my aunt and uncle, which is my mother's brother and his family. The food wasn't 
full of scarcity. It was just sometimes we'll eat once a day. Sometimes we'll eat a few days. Uh, it was just, I think the challenge is growing up in a culture that wasn't designed for you. And that's what happens when you're a foster kid. They didn't create, this household wasn't created for me. It wasn't created for my siblings. We were brought into this situation because we were seemingly abandoned by our mom only to find out it was something different, right? You know, all these years later. Um, so for me, uh, yeah, I mean, food wasn't a scarcity, but I did find myself developing a habit out of eating from the garbage can. Just think about it. I'm watching my son. He's two. So I only know that it's going to grow. I, his, his, his appetite is going to is going to increase. And because he lives in a loving household, as he grows, we're going to meet him where he's at. Yeah. Growing up then, no matter how much I grew, no matter how much my hunger or like my appetite increased, I wasn't being loved according to how I grow. Right. So it was like, yeah, OK, he go a nice dinner, he go a nice breakfast, but he here's also the least of it. And you know? so being a growing boy and not having a freedom to eat or or, or like just the freedom to live in this house and, and like be OK and have all this safety. I started eating out the garbage can, uh, whether that started at three or started at four. I have no idea, but I, I have scars as a scar on this finger. That reminds me, like when I was digging through the garbage can in an alley on the south side of Chicago, and I dug so deep that uh, uh, a piece of glass cut me deep, and I had to go get stitches. Yeah. Right, and so, so feeding a kid once a day or neglecting me by saying you can sit and watch us eat—that's terrible. Uh, so, I start stealing from stores and stealing canned goods. I was doing like whatever I could to feed the appetite of a growing boy who doesn't have the freedom to like live about a safe life and still grow and get nurtured in a way or, or nurtured according to the growth level, right? My son is going to get all of that. His, you know, like his shoe size changes. Then we got to buy new shoes or there's a loving family that says he goes some new shoes that or some shoes that we don't use anymore. So he's gonna constantly receive according to his growth level. Man, you've gone through such a life, and uh, of course, there's so much there's so much more to experience. Um, you remind me of absolutely. You remind me of this concept of like having a mask. You know, like this this mask that we put on. Um, absolutely. What, what does that mean to you? Because I I know like, you know, I I can't say that I've had a same experience at all completely not but in some elements it reminds me of like growing up in like a unstable house and kind of jumping yeah. between sort of different environments as this brown kid uh, in the home environment in the football yeah. environment and then you know in the school environment oh nice <laughs> that, that that uh you know there's, there's a trifecta and, and no one kind of teaches you how to navigate each of those sections but you know for me that mask was a fucking tough one you know in terms of taking that off and putting that back on and sometimes not knowing when you're taking it off and putting it on but for you for you what did that mean growing up that's a good question. Um, the interesting thing about wearing the mask and putting it on and putting it off and confusing 
your own self by not knowing when to wear what whatever type of mask, right? So obviously, if you're growing up in an environment that doesn't nurture you, that doesn't love on you, then you have one mask that you wear just to get through it. And I think even as a child, you learn quickly how to navigate tough spaces and, and you learn how to behave a certain way. So I want to put the mask on that 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 allows me to do certain things or appear because that's what it's about. Right. It's the appearance. Like, you know, the mask of, you know, I'm going to behave well today <laughs> because if I don't behave well, I probably won't get or something will happen to me. And then you go to school and then that's the opportunity where you get to wear the mask of the kid because I'm not able to be a kid at home. So now I get to be a child, right? So much so that it's also a safe place. It becomes the refuge. So I can't even focus on studies because I'm I'm taking advantage of these eight hours to to feel safe, like to have fun, like to be a kid. And then growing up where I grew up, it wasn't a terrible neighborhood, but it wasn't the best. So, 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 so now you have to leave school and like wear another mask, the, the a tough guy, because fights are going to occur. Uh, there's going to be some, I'm telling you, it was some battles <laughs> from, from the, the grade school, the elementary school to home. It was probably about a three to four block walk, but boy, it was some battles because I was the dirty kid. I was the kid that that didn't have nice clothes and uh, didn't have like the proper shoes, right? So I'm, I, I'm sure I didn't smell okay. So I was often picked on and, and being picked on like turns into fights. So I'm wearing the mask of behavior because I want to show that, hey, I've been a good boy at home, so I won't get hit or locked in a basement. So I got to do all these different things to be okay at home. Then I got to go to school, where it's refuge, and now I'm wearing the face of the child that I don't get to be at home. And then when I walk from school back home, I have to wear another mask. Yeah. And then another mask to walk in the house, because depending on what I did at school or what happened, Nine times out of 10, I was coming home and going directly into the basement. Yeah. So it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Put one mask on, take one mask off. You walk into a new place, put another mask on, take that mask off. It's the constant uh, changing of these facial expressions so you can just get through the day. Man, I can I can feel it in the way you describe it as well, man. Still... um. A lot of raw memories there. And for you, did you have absolutely? Did you have did you have like a, a lot of close friends? Like what did that sort of social circle look like? Did you have outlets? You know, like a lot of kids these days we see like obviously iPads and stuff like that, but then also, you know, people are going to sport and taekwondo or community things for you. Yeah, like what did that world so like? they were temporary. So I you know, schooling itself was a was was an outlet, right? Uh, I did play Little League baseball growing up, but it didn't last that long. I think I may have played one or two summers, uh, and that was cool. Uh, summer camp, every summer I was able to go to Dewajiak, Michigan, 
for two weeks. And boy, that was one of the most, even to this day, being a 44-year-old man, I still go back to summer camp because what it did for me and and I met people from all over the world. The camp counselors were foreign and and and, and there were older, you know, people who were like 18 or 25 who was from the south side of Chicago or the west side of Chicago. It was people that I wouldn't normally see. You know, my first foreign person I met was at summer camp. So uh, leaving summer camp, kids were happy to go home. We were sad to go home, <laughs> right? Uh, so, so you know, it was small pockets of outlets, but it, but in terms of friends, I was picked on so much by all of my peers, also because I was humiliated in front of my peers by my guardians if they was called to the school because I did something, I would be, you know, I would be asked to go back into the classroom and then my uncle would like kick me on the floor and, and, uh, and in front of my classmates. So because of how I smelled and how I dressed and, and, and how I wasn't taken care of, I think I had some people that may have liked me and may have wanted to talk to me, but you also don't know, but you are, having a very difficult time like relating to anyone because I don't go home to what you go home to or at least in my mind you have a great life and uh, so there's this fear and uh, so no like I didn't have a circle of friends growing up I just didn't um I knew people it's to the point now I only remember certain people in my youth because everything is a blur and I, and I don't think that we talk about what trauma does. It makes your past a blur. Even like you remember the painful things and that's the, that's the upsetting thing. I can remember the pain so vivid, but the good things are far in between. They're blurry. I don't even remember the, the faces of my classmates. You know, there are people come up to me like, hey, man, it's good to see you. Man, you look great. I don't know who they are. <laughs> and and I have to pretend, you know, and, and I walk away like, I don't know who that was. It's a tragedy, man. <laughs> it's, such, it's so tragic. You said, you know, you, you mentioned like as a 44-year-old. When, when, did, when did you start seeing therapy? I started therapy. So I had the mental and emotional breakdown like the realization in, in April, 2018, uh, which prompted this whole idea that something was wrong with me. You know, even after all the suicide attempts, and they were three, um, I didn't know what to do. So I would probably say it was that moment in the coffee yeah. shop for sure that finally pushed me to go to therapy. That, that's, when you, was that's when you started, broke down? Was that when you broke yeah, down the coffee shop? Yeah, it was a very, very necessary, messy cry. Uh, and and I was able to fall apart and still make a real decision to finally go to therapy. And that was 30, I was 39. I was going to turn 40 in like January. So yeah, my therapy journey started at 39. I'm 44 now. I think that like the, the therapy journey has been really tough for me because in therapy, you have to constantly tell 
yourself in that room and the person that you're speaking to, you have to remind yourself of all of this uh, stuff, <laughs> right? Right, just Michael, my son. Um, all of the stuff, right? And uh, therapy has been a very difficult journey for me because sometimes I don't want to remember what happened to me. I don't want to go back to that same place. I know we have to work these, these things out. I know I have to talk about them. I know that therapy is a safe place, but I still have to go home to myself, which is why I have been learning how to give myself breaks and grace because even though I'm 44, I still feel the wounds of 10-year-old Christopher, right? And so, which is why I tell the people that we're instructing or the people that we're offering free therapy to, I try to be as honest as I can. I try not to come off as I'm completely healed. No, I'm no, I'm right there with you. We're doing this together, right? I, you know, I try to teach them about taking breaks or or don't give up because it's hard. Lean into it. But also, if you want to take a break, that's that's fine. Just don't walk away from it too much. I think for me, my biggest challenge with therapy has been the fear. I, you know, like the fear because I don't want to be reminded of what it was like to be 3, 7, 10, 12, 18 because 21 all of those different ages, some very crappy things happen. 15. Uh, yeah, so it's been an interesting uh, journey, I'll say the least. Uh, you know, I think yesterday was what? What's today? Like today is would be the... So November 15th, 1994, uh, I lived in a group home. My first group home, actually, and uh, that day, November 15, 1994, I woke up, house on fire. So imagine going through all of the traumatic childhood stuff only to go to another home where, okay, this is safe. There's three meals. I can eat as much as I want. Uh, it's not the ideal situation, but you wake up and the house is on fire and you lose two of your housemates. And now you're left to deal with that memory. So every season, I have to, I have to flush out, um, you know, that loss. You know, like rest in peace, uh, Jeremy and like Daniel. They were both were seventeen years old. One died uh, in the house that night, and like the other died two days later. So I just try to do my very best to to be fair like with myself on this therapy journey, right? It's just not an easy journey. So while I'm telling people, go to therapy, go to therapy, go to therapy, let's go, let's, let's go. I'm also now saying, but make sure this is what you're ready for. Take these baby steps. Maybe the first step is to come to our group session so you can be in a room with other people who are struggling so you won't feel like it's just you. Um, but also walk it slow and then ask your therapist, where are we going? You know my stuff, like you know my pain, but where are we going? You know, guide me on this journey because it has to be a goal. At some point it has to be some internal graduation.
Like, whew, I made it. Next step. Whew. I didn't think I was going to get through that. So it has to be some internal or external graduation within the halls of therapy or else you're just um, perpetuating or continuing the same journey by sharing the same pain, the same pain, same pain over and over again. And so for me, I, I'm just trying to be fair with myself and, and like not rush myself because everybody else think I need to be healed fast or I should be further along, right? You wasn't there. <laughs> you wasn't, you know, you wasn't there. So it's just unfair, like, for you to tell me I should be further along. I Because I wish, because it's not a moment that it don't go by that I wish. I wish that I can be okay in this relationship. I wish I could look at my son and, like, not cry sometime, like, because his freedom reminds me of how unfair my life was. I wish I could be further along, but I also got to say, you made leaps and bounds despite you're not there. <laughs> Look what you did, man. Look what you did. Sometimes you have to. Yeah. When nobody else man. is doing it, when nobody else is doing it. Yeah, Christopher. Yeah, Christopher. You did it, man. And so, yeah. because I still have to go home. And I still have to go back to these relationships. And I still have to go back to running my business after therapy. So I have to give myself permission and say, you're not going to do this perfect. It's, it's going to be messy. It's going to be some breaks, but that's okay. Yeah. 100%, man. You've got to be your biggest cheerleader. Man, right. Absolutely. <laughs> like, un, like, like, unrelenting. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, uh, um, um, giving yourself like permission because the thing is when you are in relationships man like do you know how many people are sitting in relationships wearing masks all day yeah <laughs> because of shame shame and embarrassment because you can't tell the person you with look I'm struggling with this I don't want to do this you know you, you mentioned you mentioned in there around your suicide attempts you know, one one of the guys that we're going to be having on in a couple of weeks time mm -hmm. is a guy called Ke Kevin Hines. I don't know if you've heard the name. He's the guy that jumped off the Golden Gate uh, Bridge. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah. <clears throat> that is a phenomenal story. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we've I love got him in a couple. Story. Yeah, yeah, we've got him in a couple of couple of weeks time, and you know, each each person's journey is very unique to their themselves, yes. but. I, like I think just like listening to his story and he speaks quite publicly about it he's just got a book coming out as well and um he talks about you know how he felt as if there was no one there and he talked about the day itself and like how he planned to get a bus going to the golden gate etc and looking back at that he's just he just wished he just could tap on someone's shoulder and just say you know I'm struggling and just yeah. curious as to your journey there and like you know um you know what options in terms of like tapping people in the shoulder and like sharing your story, you know, cause even, even in your bio, you mentioned how like the first 30 years of your life yeah. you're trying to survive. I don't talk about the three attempts very often. I think the reason why I didn't know how to lean on people, because when you grow up the way I grew up, you didn't trust anybody. And the relationship I were, I was in, whether it be all the church like relationships, you know, the people you meet, they all look nice. 
they all dress nice, but the more you get to know them, you realize that they don't feel safe either because they don't understand you. And the moment you tell people that you don't have parents and 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 the moment you tell people that you grew up in a water, you know, as a water estate, foster care, I think there's a, whether it be intentional or unintentional, I think that comes with an automatic bias, right? Because I can just, I... I could tell the difference how they were treating someone else versus how they was treating me. Even if we were the same age, even if I was dressed nicer, right? It didn't matter uh, uh, about my appearance. I think it just, it's like the kid that grows up in a neighborhood that doesn't have a big sister or brother and everybody know that he's alone. So you're the first one to get picked on because there's nobody that you're going to go to to go fight these people. So you get picked on, right? And uh, so, and also my own insecurity and, and like low self-esteem that comes with all the trauma. You tend to feel like I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of good things. I don't deserve stuff. So you second guess everything, right? And so it's hard to like lean on people because you don't trust yourself. You don't forgive yourself. You are filled with so much shame, grief, and disappointment. So even when sleeping around, going from woman to woman, trying to appease or feel good. And I talked about this yesterday. There's a trauma response called fight. The, you know, like it's a, you know, I'm sorry. It's a fight response to the trauma that you went through and it's called overcompensating, right? And so uh, I did a lot of buying people's affection. Like I would do big things to get, hopefully get big attention, get big love, right? But I wasn't creating sustainable or healthy relationship because in that, it lacked boundaries. It lacked me really having this intuitive nature like to let myself know that this is safe. I didn't know how to recognize safety. So in the end, when you really need people, they won't be there because all the overcompensating wasn't enough to build a healthy relationship. And and on the other side, people also see you. you. You don't think people see you, but people see you. Even the people that may love you or care about you, they see you and they don't even know how to enter because even in all that overcompensating, there's a very much closed individual. Right? So, so no, I didn't have anybody that I trust that I can lean on. So it was easy for me to take a bunch of pills or it was easy for me to walk outside in the middle of traffic, in the rain, in the dark, and blessing, the blessing, nobody hit me. And I remember coming back home like, nobody hit me? <laughs> like, nobody hit me? <laughs> right? Um, and I want to talk about that day, like a little bit more. I remember feeling so disappointed I didn't have the money to pay any bills and I knew I was about to lose another apartment and I was so disappointed and I was so angry and, and I was so hurt that I just say, you know what, you know, F this life. And, and, and at first I took a whole bunch of pills and nothing happened to me. And so I got angry at that. And, and, and I remember it was really, really rainy. And I walked outside. My car was sitting in front of the house. 
So I looked at my car, but then I just say, you know what? I walked past my car and then I walked into the main street while cars was coming directly. And I walked in the middle of the street and cars were just swerving and beeping, but no one hit me. I was just, and I was just so disappointed. And I went back in the house and I was angry that the pills didn't do it. The, the uh, rainy night and all the cars didn't do it. And I, so I went back to writing music. Yeah. Because that was my therapy. Hip hop saved my life that night. Because what if I tried another thing? And uh, and uh, that was just one of the attempts. But what I learned in that moment, even if I didn't get it then, I learned later that I'm supposed to be here. Mm. Because I did everything I could to like end it. <laughs> right? oh, okay, the pills didn't work. It made me a little sick. Uh, Nobody hit me in this rain street. This is a main street, <laughs> right? Uh, so I went back home and started writing music. Yeah, you're destined to be here, man. You're destined to be here. <laughs> I do want to. I do want to quickly transition to obviously the work that you're doing with coffee, hip hop, uh, and and the cafe. But before I get to that, I, I just have one question, which is around friendship. Around friendships, and what your relationship has been with friends and. The reason I say that is because I'm I'm kind of navigating my twenties at the moment, um, learning oh, a lot. Obviously, yeah, such a young lad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you, you certainly such you a... certainly don't you certainly don't feel it in the moment. But I I know there's so much ahead, <laughs> even for you, man. There's I th I think there's so much ahead for us. And uh, absolutely, I received that. Yeah, the the reason I say the the friends part is like I um yeah I don't know I I just feel like this is a period where some really good friends get cemented and then you just realize you grow apart from some other friends. And yeah. I was wondering, like, what was that? What, yeah, what's that like for you? Because I, I, I do these podcasts. I chat to many folks, and yeah. it's always one of the things that always comes to light. You know, life gets more complex. Things, yeah. things weigh you down a little bit more. Like, you start realizing who's actually there in your corner. So, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I met some pretty amazing people along my journey. I think the disappointing thing for me is not knowing how to reciprocate. Yeah. Because I was in such need. I was a very needy person. Like I needed affection. I needed to be seen. I needed help. Right. But even with all these amazing people, even with me being so needy, I was closed and I was just afraid to let anybody in because if I let them in, they would really see me. You know, isn't that like, you know, isn't that like, um, you know, I, I know it's a bit contradictive, right? I'm needy, but I'm closed. I want to be seen, but I don't want you to see me. And the reason why I don't want you to see me is because if you see me, you might run. You might leave me because you're not gonna like what's here because I don't like what's here, <laughs> right? So navigating friendships was very much a challenge for me. Like, So I have this friend named Steve who I just allowed him to really be a friend after 13 years. He's been a constant for me, constant. And I think that's what helped me realize that this guy is a friend. And his consistency of being my friend and never wavering, that taught me how to now reciprocate. But it took me this year, literally 13 years later, to say, 
I think that's okay for me to say that's my best friend because he's been, and and I have some good friends around me, a very small circle. Um, I think the challenge in friendships though too, because I lost a lot of people I thought were very close friends when I started to scale, like when life looked different because I was always the guy that needed a ride, needed help, needed you to let me sleep on your couch. You know, you probably gave me some clothing. You probably bought me some food. You probably bought me a hotel. Right. So, so the moment I started to like, you know, grow and I didn't need them on that level, maybe I didn't know how to use them or cause that's what friendships are. Like you use people in a healthy way, not in a terrible way. You should use each other in a very healthy way. I don't think I ever knew how to reciprocate friendship or intimate relationship. I think I'm much better now, but I have lost a lot. And those losses have taught me how to better navigate. So, and not perfect, but uh, those losses, if you allow them to, they teach you. But friendships have always always been a very uh, challenging thing for me. But that friendship with Steve has taught me a lot about um, what it means to reciprocate, what it means to allow people in no matter what season. Because I saw him in every season. And I was actually there for him in these seasons, but I wasn't letting him in really up until like now, maybe the last one or two years. So some things are not your fault. Some people do grow because their lives have grown in another direction or, or maybe they don't need you in this season and you, and you, and you become a, a associates rather than friends. I think that we have to just be okay with that. If you find one good friend that loves you and they don't ever waver, that's a blessing. Social media makes us believe that we have to have thousands of friends, and that's not true. No, you just need like people that love you for who you are. It doesn't mean they won't challenge you to grow. I'm talking about they recognize that's your personality, that's who you are. You need some work, but I love you in and out of season, and we just have to be yeah. okay with that. Yeah, absolutely, man. There's um, yeah, there's there's no there's no playbook for any of this stuff. It's uh, <laughs> Ain't no playbook. Yeah. it's also it's also like it's also fascinating because like all of us have personalities and there's this kind of invincible thing that takes place between two people which is the merging of those personalities or the clash of those personalities and you can't really tell what clicks and what doesn't click you know um, oh and I, Ooh, and yeah I, yeah and and, and, and and what i'm trying to say is like you know like even in a relationship you know you've got two people in a relationship and obviously i think these days the definition of a relationship has changed quite a bit but i'm just thinking of in the context of two folks and um what a relationship is is like your view of yourself and what you think the other person's view of you is and then the other person's side is their view on themselves plus what they think you think you know man of them. oh my god that's so good so one thing i do know even though i failed a ton of relationships right i'm still learning so much and i realized that yeah it is a lot of things going on in this space of relationship. It is how yeah. people see themselves versus how you see them and then vice versa. Yeah. And we get to experience people, right? But I don't think people know what that experience is like because yeah. how you feel yourself and your own body is not the same the way I experience you. Yeah. Yeah. like that's good 100%. or indifferent right that's, that's good or indifferent uh, I try not to use the word bad or negative 
unless it's you really need to own negativity. And like, I think in relationships, uh, we don't realize that negative things need to happen. It's the balance of life, right? I think we shun it. And when, when we shame negativity so much to the point that we almost avoid it, uh, we, avoid, we avoid conflict. And we don't have time to avoid conflict because if we don't face conflict head on, it would be the death of the relationship in itself. Um, there's a such thing as a very healthy conflict. Two people together, you're not going to get it right. I see life apples, you see life oranges. And how do we marry these two perspectives? That's the challenge, right? And, and that's in friendship. That's in business, <laughs> right? Uh, your, your co-worker sitting next to you, if you all are on the same team, you all can't, can't be, you got to be like this. That that's the only way we're going to complete this project. And so a lot of times we have to learn how to lessen our ego. And and pull back a little bit in order for us to meet each other halfway or all, you know, all the way, right? And so when you're talking about navigating like relationship, especially friendship, because I, I think every intimate relationship needs to have a foundation of friendship. And I think that we get so caught up, you know, including myself in the physical and, and how it feels that we don't understand that this friendship is is like built on truth like truth, like honesty, right? And not being afraid to really tell the person who you are slowly, right? And uh, so that's why it's hard for people to really balance or sustain like relationships of any kind, especially friendships, because we just don't get how we should show up. I relate to that definitely. And I think the reason I relate to it is because like growing up, trying to understand how love was given and how to give back love, I think feeds into that equation. 100%. Um, <laughs> if, Absolutely. If role, yeah, 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 yeah. If you don't have a role model for that, then it's 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 really hard to understand what that looks like when you want to try and give it back. So Absolutely I know like, you're, you're, you're on a path becoming an incredible father. So I, I have no doubt that Abraham's going to grow into like, yeah, an amazing, amazing, amazing person. And I wanted to give you some space to talk about what you're doing with the cafe and and yeah. why you started that and and where where you see that going over the next couple of years this this floor is completely yours um, yeah. a little bit of information you know when we post it obviously tag the cafe and, and put it in the show notes but you know for those listening in we've kind of referenced it a little bit and people would have heard it in the intro as well but what are you doing there and, and what's up ahead for you the cafe is one component to the work that we're doing but it's a major component it's the most visible thing that people see every day it's the hub of resources. It's uh, it's a cafe by day and at night. Free yoga, men's, women group, co-ed sessions, children, teachers, therapists, whatever. We talk about it all. Uh, it's a place for people to show up to be their authentic selves without no judgment, no bias. It's just a special place, man. Um, you know, I'm so blessed to look up and say, I this kid that came from all this pain was able to build a beautiful place. Right. And so like the plans is to uh, take that concept and, and like spider web it out, spider, spider web it out, like throughout the city of Chicago, which is what we're doing now. 
Uh, I'm uh, working on a tour called um, the Forgive Yourself Tour, like presented by Coffee Hip Hop and Mental Health. The I for the like Forgive Yourself Tour. Um, we're already working on dates to move move about. Uh, you know what? We should work together. You know what? I'm gonna be very present with you, Sunny. Like I love London. I, look, I love London. Uh, had a chance to go to London like before the pandemic. I uh, went to Paris, found a very beautiful cafe by the name of Holy Belly Cafe in Paris that I love. Um, and uh, so, so as I'm thinking about this tour, which is the next steps, is obviously like to grow more uh, coffee shops and more conversation across the country. But I want to be able to like go all over the world to let people know that it's okay, like to forgive yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Give yourself the permission. So London's on my list. So, you know, I'm I, I wherever you at in the UK, but <laughs> it doesn't have right, right. Uh, you know, I'm gonna write it down mentally here that I would love to do a, a conversation with you like across the ocean. hundred um, percent oh, live 100%, in person. Man. I mean, because there's so many people who are hiding behind shame and embarrassment. So the cafe is a place where you can bring your shame and your embarrassment to the table. Bring it to the cafe. Bring it to the cafe. Bring me your shame. Bring me your embarrassment. I know what to do with it, right? It's like telling people to come to the coffee shop. It's okay to bring your shame, bring your embarrassment, bring your trauma. Come as you are. Come as you are. So imagine... Imagine having multiple coffee shops all over the country. All over the country. Or like just the concept in general, right? Where like people can bring their shame, their pain, their frustration without bias, without judgment. And then we give them perspective and we give them help and we empower them and we say, now go enjoy your day. Day to day. It doesn't have. It's okay that people are living day to day because that's okay. As you progress... Week to week, that's okay. Month to month, that's okay. Now I'm living year to year. Now, now every other year, there's right, and so that's what the cafe is about. It's about having a uh, having a coffee shop business. You know, uh, there's three different departments. There's the coffee, which is the cafe. Uh, Hip hop is the community where we go into corporate spaces and we go all over the city of Chicago and all over the country and. And we just build relationship with people from a corporate sponsorship standpoint or by way of saying, let's bring therapy to your workplace. Like this has been a phenomenal conversation. I think we've touched on a lot of great topics, man. And Absolutely. Um, it was very nice. Yeah. It, was very, it, was, it, was, it was very nice meeting you, son. Seriously, yeah. I, I genuinely mean that. And that's a wrap for this episode. If you're enjoying our conversations, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. All the conversations are recorded in video, so check us out on Instagram and Facebook at our handle at BottledUpOz. Drop us a comment or a message if any of these conversations resonate with you. And most importantly, please share this podcast with anyone who might need it. So as always, this is Bottled Up. Thanks for being part of our family and see you next time.